Welcome to Sourced, a podcast about the art of audience engagement at a time when competition for attention has never been greater. What works, what doesn't work, and what's changing. Sourced is brought to you by 55 Comms. We've been telling stories, learning about audiences, and helping clients for more than 25 years. You'll hear from a range of guests, including our clients and old friends. Between them, they engage more people through social media and their own communications than anyone else in Brisbane. The Brisbane Broncos, Brisbane Lions and the Brisbane Heat have millions of social media followers who keep track of the clubs across the winter and summer. The Broncos are the most followed team in the National Rugby League. The Heat are the most followed team in Cricket's Big Bash League and the Lions have carved out a significant presence for AFL in the most competitive sporting city in the country. We asked members of their communications teams into our 55 comms offices to discuss their approach to audience engagement. Steele Tallon has been the general manager of communications and media at the Brisbane Broncos for the last five seasons. He moved into that job after almost four years at the Brisbane Lions. Steele is a former senior executive at News Corp, working as an editor at the likes of the Courier Mail, Adelaide Advertiser and Geelong Advertiser. Peter Locke is the Commercial and Marketing Manager at Queensland Cricket and the Brisbane Heat. Peter's been at Queensland Cricket for most of the last decade, playing a key role in their reputation as communications innovators. Andrew Hamilton is the Media Manager at the Brisbane Lions, overseeing their engagement with media outlets. Andrew was the AFL writer for the Career Mail before he took a position with the team he covered without fear or favour for many years. My name is Michael Crutcher. Welcome to this edition of our Sourced Podcast. I'm going to start with this question. Can you describe for us your audience? What's the audience like for the teams that you work with? Still, you can start. Describe the Broncos audience for us. Uh, fanatical uh, would be one word I would use, but I suppose most sports teams can... Um, uh, can cut, uh, Claim fame to that, but um, yeah, I think we've been through some pretty rough times of late. Um, we've uh, obviously a wooden spoon last year, um, you know, and then the great highs of the the history of the club. I think uh, the engagement levels have remained the same. So um, whether they want to uh, abuse us or whether they want to praise us um, after a game, uh, a heavy loss or a you know a, a great win like the round eleven win over over the Roosters this year. Um, Pretty much the same uh, amount of feedback. It's just the uh, the tone of the feedback. So uh, it can go from very uh, very bad to very good very quickly. Yeah. I stick with footy and Hamo with you with the Lions coming off a different season to the Broncos. But how would you describe that Lions audience? Yes. Yeah, so I think the demographic of our, our the biggest part of our audience are males twenty five to to forty, uh, and I think the challenge at a footy club. And Steele would know this, having been at the Lions and now at the Bronx, is you have your rusted-on supporters, which he's talking about, and the engagement stays the same, and you want to attract a new audience. And um, as a sport that I think we've got to be fair, it's, it's, it's second on the totem pole to rugby league in this state. 
you have to attract an audience that perhaps becomes interested in the, in the players as individuals. So it's a, it's a, you know, I guess we have the football-specific audience that we try and target, and it really helps having an AFLW side and the AFLW premiers. It's opened up a whole whole new audience to us, but we're constantly trying to attract new people, and and one of the ways to do that is through social media, where it can be less footy specific and it can be a little bit more lifestyle orientated and I think finding the balance there um, is probably the is probably the number one question we ask ourselves all the time. What about for you, Pete, with the heat and cricket and such phenomenal audience numbers that you have, how would you describe your audience? Well, I think we'd be a bit of a blend of both in that um, we're certainly keen to attract the fanatical sports fans, but Going back <coughs> 10 years to when the Big Bash was conceived as an idea, it was all about attracting new audiences to the game. So we're super focused on um, bringing new fans into our sport and all those years ago um, it was all about mum and the kids and we certainly uh, haven't gone away from that. So um, we like to think that we've got something for everyone, um, your cricket fans, your sports fans that like the Broncos and the Lions will get into us when we, we have a loss on social media, but we do try and appeal to new audiences as well and uh, specifically families and mums. So how would you describe your general approach to comms, Pete, with the, the heat? You've got the WBBL and the, the men as well, but what's your general approach like with that audience that you've described? How do you approach them? Yeah, using our social media channels and traditional media uh, channels to... Um, yeah, to tell our story essentially. So um, we've got great stories to tell with our players and we think that they, um, our fans are attracted to not just what they do on the field but off the field as well. So really focused on telling the stories of our players away from uh, the field and also utilising different social media channels to tell different stories. So um, we were pretty early adopters of uh, TikTok, so really focused on utilising that to to reach fans in that younger demographic. Um, but then we still use Facebook to, to to hit your traditional fans, even overseas fans. We've got a, an overseas audience being a, a global game. So just making sure we're ticking all those boxes, really. What about you, Steeler? You've been at the Lions and now at the Broncos. How would you describe the Broncos' general approach to its audiences? I think it's a matter of balance. So um, you've obviously got the traditional media, the external media, um, I think there was a phase there in sports comms where uh, it was going down the road of we're going to do everything ourselves, we don't need the external media. I'm not saying I thought that way, but there were certainly people within the industry who uh, who were trying to bring uh, build build kingdoms, I suppose, especially in the AFL world, the, the Collingwoods and even the Adelaide Crows. Um, uh, but I think uh, from a Broncos perspective, it's just silly to kind of freeze out certain, um, you know, say external media that has great um, access to our fans, um, say AM radio, um, newspapers uh, considered to be, uh, you know, classified as dying uh, platforms. We, we don't see it that way. We say we see them as setting agenda. Um, so, say, Pete Bedell on the Courier-Mail... Um, you know, a Ben Dobbin, um, you know, a Brent Reid on the Australian, these guys, when they write something, it gets picked up. And because of the new media cycle, um, especially, say, with uh, Fox, um, uh, you know, it gets amplified uh, numerous times. So um, to ignore them would be folly for us. Uh, but at the same time, we have to 
try and give our, uh, our members in particular as much uh, access to exclusive information as possible. So um, it's impossible to keep a player signing uh, secret. Um, so often, uh, you know, that information is out there. So we have to act quickly and try and give them, once the official word is out there that we've done it, try and go directly to our, uh, our, our members to give them at least some um, satisfaction that we're, we're thinking of them first, which is what we always endeavour to do. I don't know if this is the old journo in me, but we still value, I in particular really value mainstream media because it's an it's a independent voice discussing your product and you don't always like what they say, but I feel it adds a little bit of legitimacy when it's, it's independent analysis, not motivated by our desire to promote a, a sponsor or, you know, it, it's... And it's not always factual, but I would hate to see a day where we disappeared, you know. And um, the Curry Mail, once upon a time, had two footy riders and now they've got 0.5 of a football rider and it's a big challenge for us to, to you know, remain in their, in their pages. But it, we value it. Um, same with, the, you know, the commercial TV networks. And I understand that that push that still spoke about was, was very strong a few years ago, but I feel I'm certainly trying to every day strike a balance with, with our department um, that we want, we want to be on the mainstream media and we want to be talking directly to our fans as well. Hamo, the man who was fearless as a journo covering the Lions, one of the most fearless journos I worked with. Now you're working with the Lions. What's the approach like? I was uh, unsure of what sort of um, welcome I'd get when I... Walked into that club because I did have a long <laughs> and sometimes rocky history. No, yeah. definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I think the other thing too was every single player on that list, my time in the media outdated their time in the game. So I was at the draft that they arrived at our club. So I have history with them all, and and over the course of a long time, it sounds like a defence, but the positive stories outweigh the negative stories and any journal on earth the, the most hard-hitting journal on earth their ledger would come out that way because you, you, you know you, you love hard news but you've still got to provide content so that's true people remember the negatives don't they, they do they do yeah and i like to remind them and, and our players remember them too and um the end of the season's always a, an interesting time for me because that's when the beers flow and that's when they get a bit bit more lippy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harris Andrews still remembers that I, I questioned his... Um, I, I wasn't sure he had the mobility to play on the best defenders, uh, the best forwards in the competition, and I don't hear from him all year. And then, you know, when the beers start flowing at one of the post-season functions, he's, he reminds me every time. So, um, <laughs> Two times all Australian. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I was wrong, you know. <laughs> you motivated him. Yeah. yeah. But, but, yeah, so that... Um, I think the advantage of being a journo is that I, I I remind our guys daily that we have to think like journos and we've got to adapt like journos and we've got to go where the story is. If we want to be an independent news provider to our fans through any of our channels, the principles are the same and we've got to follow the story and we've got to follow what the audience want to hear. Has that helped you get better media coverage, do you think, having contacts, ex-colleagues that you can call and try and get a story in? Well, it definitely has because I, I probably predict the story before they do or 
and with the benefit of being inside, but I know what's going to appeal to who. I know, and I, I guess I know how to make it. it it's it's, a, it's unfortunate, the landscape we're in, but you have to make it as easy as possible for them to write about you. Um, just no one has the resources. Even still, you'd, you'd feel the pinch a little bit. The, the subs desks are half of what they used to be. The deadlines are getting earlier and earlier. Um, pitches... Pitches are our, our greatest friend, and for the last two years we haven't been able to access photographers. To you were talking about, um, you know, you know that their life away from sport, and, and they're the hardest stories to tell in in times of COVID. You can't put them on a fishing boat and do a day on the river with, you know, um, one of your players, and th- that's where the, the challenges are. But I, I think knowing what the media are going to want or what sell what'll sell for them is a massive advantage. Let's talk about the different channels that you use and feel free to go first. Anyone here? We'll start with Facebook. It's where the volume is. Who wants to talk about Facebook? You go, Pete. Yeah, well, I mean, Facebook, like a few of these channels, is growing and adapting all the time. And um, I was just having a look the other day at, at Facebook and at my feed and some of the new things that pop up, they've got a news function, Facebook Watch, Facebook Stories. So in terms of where it is now to where it was a couple of years ago, it's certainly changed a lot and um, our tactic a couple of years ago used to be to just try and pump short form videos into people's feeds around the 30 second mark because they knew we knew they'd get engagement and views. Um, but it was also a really good resource to drive website traffic. So we use it now as uh, a source of entertainment to pump out good videos. Um, we use it for advertising a lot. So paid social media, we drive through Instagram and Facebook, uh, but also an opportunity to, to post articles and that long form content to our websites, which still has a good role, despite video being uh, a really primary, primary uh, medium at the moment. Are there things you do on Facebook you wouldn't do elsewhere? Oh, certainly yeah, you don't really link articles to your Instagram feed. You don't try and drive web traffic through TikTok uh, and those kind of things. Um, I think Twitter and Facebook are those two mediums where you, you really would post an article and try and get people to, to read a long-form uh, piece on your website. So uh, there's probably a bit of crossover between breaking news on platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Um, that's probably the, the most similar I would have thought. Um, and then you also look to to continue doing your videos through uh, Facebook that you might not do on Twitter because you know they're going to get good reach through Facebook Watch. Yeah, it's certainly the platform to, for debate, I think. You know, if you've got an issue running or if you've got, you know, um, uh, you know uh, players who are uh, either performing well or performing poorly or there's an issue around the club, that's certainly the place where you get the most debate between, uh, I'd say, informed or pretty informed fans. Um, you know, Twitter tends to be where, you know, uh, journos break stuff and you know that kind of debate takes place there um, Insta's kind of the realm of um, you know the players so uh, that's where they do a lot of their playing I suppose you know Insta story and, and you know sometimes promoting their own brand so um, I think it's also a good platform for you know if we're trying to uh, market uh, apparel or you know push certain things that we want to sell then we find that Insta is the best place for that um, but Facebook certainly got the bulk. I think it's just uh, the algorithm and the ever-changing nature of that makes it very hard to, you know, have any certainty about what 
what's going to be happening in you know six months time let alone you know a year so if you're trying to be strategic around it um it can be difficult at times i suppose it's where you do get your best engagement and when i say that it's where fans have the biggest voice so yep, when you do absolutely. have a loss or there is something that people want to comment on it's generally on a facebook post as opposed mm. to commenting on something on twitter or a little bit on instagram yeah. but certainly Facebook gives the fan the biggest voice, I feel. My mum's well, 90. Talk directly yeah, she's to on the Facebook. So. Through Insta, <laughs> don't they? Yeah. Whereas they talk to the players through the club on Facebook. Yeah. You get better vision over it and yeah. a better. You can, get, you can engage. You can. I guess you can mould your messages to what they're saying to you. And it is a communication tool as well. We do find fans will hit us up on Facebook Messenger to ask about gate open times or ticket issues or all those kind of things. So we do use it as a troubleshooting platform as well as opposed to email or someone calling up a hotline, which doesn't really happen anymore. Do you take notice of those comments? I mean, after a game finishes, Broncos say 10 o'clock at night, next morning there's a 1,000 plus comments, etc. Do you guys take notice of what those comments are? If my social media guy's in the fetal position under the desk when I come in in the morning, then, yeah, he's probably been taking notice of them a little bit too much, um, send him off on stress leave. But, um, look, a lot of it is, is plain venting, so it's the, you know, if, uh, I can't believe it's the worst performance ever, I'm going to hand back my membership and that kind of stuff. But, in a way, that's good. They, you know, the fans, we understand their passion. They can go and they can probably vent a bit and then probably rethink, you know, once we get four to eight hours post-game. But, um, look, if there are legitimate comments around their match day experience, certainly yeah, we'll kind of investigate it. Uh, sometimes there's, you know, crowd misbehaviour um, that'll normally come through uh, Facebook. We'll have a look at that. Um, you know, you've got your filters and that kind of stuff to kind of um, get rid of the really hardcore criticism of certain individual players with swear words and the like. Um, but yeah, if there's something legitimate comes through, there'd probably be three or four things off every match that we take and, and go and, you know, deal with, I suppose. So I think that is actually a good point when you talk about your social media manager being in the fetal position. Yep. And I, I see that as somewhat of a, a serious issue in that um, it does get pretty hectic on social media after a bad loss. And my first role with the Heat was uh, in charge of social media and I was a bit blown away by some of the vitriol directed towards the club and the players after a loss. It just had never crossed my mind as a sports fan to go and just vent like that on social media. And at some point you do just let them go. But um, as someone that's monitoring comments and seeing that they get really personal, uh, it can be, um, I, I guess, you've got to be cautious of, of yourself looking at those kind of things because it can wear them down, I've, I've seen. What do you do if a fan is really vitriolic and just crosses the line? Do you do anything about that or how do you approach it? Uh, definitely block. If it gets personal and gets serious, uh, we do block fans. And um, I, this is an education piece for players as well around we tell them don't look at social media for 24 hours after a game, which can be really challenging, particularly for younger players. And if they've had a, a bad performance, um, dropped a catch or got out at a crucial time and they're copping a lot of heat, they go and look at their uh, Instagram feed straight away and they've got all these Instagram DMs people just blowing up at them I think it's actually something to, to be really cautious of and uh, so we tell players not to look at social media for 24 hours um, do they listen to that some do but some don't and I think can't it's, help themselves yeah exactly I think they're young young guys in their uh, and girls in their early 20s or late teens and social media is all they know and so I think it is something to some would but some don't and some have learnt their lesson um, some would just be water off a duck's back once they get a bit into their career particularly those that 
are playing for Australia and um, that, that kind of criticism doesn't affect them. But early on, I think, how could it not? Mm. I think it's certainly building to something because what you say is true, Peter, around this generation. I've got an 18-year-old and they live through their phones. Now, I went through a phase of saying, get off your phone and live in the real world, but that's how, they, that's how people of that age you know, kind of operate and how they socialise. So, you know, you had West Tigers earlier this year shut down comments on Twitter and they copped far more criticism for shutting down comments because, you know, people saw it as their right to be able to comment and say what they liked about their team. We had an issue where two of our players were had some terrible things sent to their DMs and we kind of, you know, put out a public, you know, saying enough's enough type thing. But even responding to that, people were saying, well, they get paid, we have every right to be able to say what we want to them. So I think in societal expectations, you've got outside of sport the example where I think there was a court decision the other day where the publishing, uh, the publisher is responsible for the comments related, uh, the you know, the defamatory comments that were posted. So... Does that will that extend to us as a sporting organisation? It's an interesting study. So I think you're just going to have increasing examples of this. So as a club, we recognise that people and we want to give people the right to be able to say what they think. But will we get to a point where it, it has to end? So I think I it's think interesting we're, to We're hurtling towards it, aren't we? Specifically in uh, you know racially motivated comments. And yeah. Our club made a submission to the parliamentary inquiry that's running at the moment a bit around hate speech and um, because how many times can you put out a enough is enough and yeah. we won't stand for this and we yeah. support our players which we wholeheartedly do but mm. um, one of our suggestions was probably it in alignment with the you know the revenge porn you yeah. know legislation yeah, of yeah. a few years ago that it, it somehow rather criminalise the use of um, racial speech or hate speech on social media platforms and it's it's unfortunate that it's come to that but we're, we're talking about freedom of speech but nowhere on earth can you accept social media can you can you say these things and expect to get away from them well, uh, people I think them. sport people automatically it gives them another 20 or 30 percent on top like yeah. if, they, if you were talking about a, I don't know, another kind of performance like an artistic performance or some of the area of like life a lot of the what is commented on in sport wouldn't pass muster. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they seem, oh, it's just sport, you know, we can say what we want. So what you say is true. Yeah. What would you say to players, Hamo, because you had one of the thickest skins of any journal I work with, which is stuff bounced off you. Yeah. But what do you say to players who may not have that thick skin? Yeah, so we've got a couple of, um, couple of guys that, they're not fragile, but they, and it becomes a, like, they're drawn to, to look at something that is ultimately going to upset them, and, and I, I don't understand it because I didn't, I didn't grow up in the social media um, age. But I, yeah, I, I have in the past after a, a game, and I've, you know, predicted as a journo, well, they're going to go after this guy. The, the, the awkward position you're in, Steelo, is if you go up to the guy and say, "Mate, my advice to you is to stay off social media for the next," straight away he thinks, "Well." Hamo thinks I've had a bad game. Bloody Hamo. Yeah. <laughs> but we were... Um, I'll, I'll tell you, Mitch Robinson, he loves to engage. So we lost by the, to the Bulldogs by a point in the semi-final. And as he's, we had a beer downstairs afterwards, the whole team, and as he walked out, I've, I've said to him, no socials tonight, Robbo. And he's gone, just one, just one. I said, no, mate. <laughs> and then all night, backwards and forwards, the texting, you know, and he's gone, oh, because he wanted to make reference to he, he didn't, he wasn't satisfied with the 
umpiring, the officiating. And I'm saying to him, well, what do you achieve by this? And, you know, well, it starts the conversation. I said, mate, the conversation started mm. without, without you, you, don't, yeah, yeah. You're not, you don't need to. Anyway, I wore him down. He signed off with, all righto, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I got my way. But, so we, we talk about, you know, the, our audience. But um, our players are of the same generation and they're, they're just as capable of saying the wrong thing too. And um, I think there's a fair bit of education around that too. Pete, what about for you last summer? Because the Heat, the boys team... Had a pretty bad start. Chris Lynn did his hamstring. I think there was maybe three you know, losing games in a row. Then things picked up. What did you notice at that time of the losses? Well, I've lived through it over the last couple of years, so it wasn't any great shock to see um, yeah, the vitriol from fans when you're losing and um, fans giving it to us. There would be a time where you'd get pretty concerned knowing what I know now, that if we had a loss and people weren't giving it to you, I think you'd be a little bit concerned because you're thinking, geez, where are the fans right now? Um, so there was a bit of a difference between the start and finish, but that's what winning does. So, um, yeah, n- nothing too extreme from what I haven't seen before, but it, it's your general stuff around who's playing well, everyone's a selector but you do give them that right as a fan to, to think who they want to um, play in a team or, or whatever. But there's just a line that you don't cross and it's just being aware of that. Um, and if something does happen, you have to call it out. You have to block the people. Um, and I think most sports would have had situations where things have crossed the line and you've had to either bring the police or bring security or bring something into it to, to calm a situation down. How do you approach your, your comms when your team's losing as opposed to when your team's winning? I remember reading a story one time about the Oakland Raiders during a long, long losing streak and they mentioned that they ramped up their comms when they were losing and mm. because when they were winning, the fans took care of it themselves. How do you guys approach your comms? Are there differences when you're winning or when you're losing? Yeah. I think um, there was... I remember one game last year and we were getting pretty well thumped and... Uh, a social media manager came up to me and said, look, I don't think it's going to help if we put up a loss graphic right now. We're just going to get slammed. And I agreed with him because it was a pretty... Um, we were going to get pumped. And it, it ended up being a really close game, so we changed tactic a little bit. And he showed me a few examples of maybe an NBA game from that time and just said, look, it, it do, it's not going to help things if we just don't post. So I agree with him, uh, agreed with him there. Uh, there's also an element of... Um, how you protect players a little bit from from these kind of things and them understanding how um, fierce backlash is going to be. And for the footy codes, it's a bit different because you've got a coach and a player doing a media conference straight after a game in normal times, a room full of journos who can get up and they can speak to players and coaches and um, it's a bit of a different environment. So I guess for us, we're really conscious of what's being said on social media, but then how can we um, use traditional media to get a proactive message out as well, be that a, a press of the next day or finding a reason to push out some good news? Ever since I left the Courier Mail, I think of um, I might be the unlucky omen because the lines were terrible when I was there. Then I came to the Broncos and we went from pre- preliminary finalists over a period of time <laughs> to a wooden spoon, so it's the all my fault. Touch. Yeah, the talent touch. The talent touch, yeah. Um, 
probably two things. One is um, around expectations. So the Broncos are expected to win. Uh, when I was at the Lions during that period, there was no real expectation for us to win. So another loss, you could get creative. You could be the challenger brand and have a bit of fun and, you know, kind of run pitches of nickelback next to our uh, lead singer next to our our, uh, our, minor, our emblem and that kind of stuff. And that was widely received uh, well. Um, at the Broncos, there's no such um, kind of situation where you can ever joke about a loss. Um, and as well um, is the commercial aspect. So lots of our um, uh, match day um, assets are attached to sponsorships and reasonable reasonable sponsorships. So player of the game, player of the game, stat of the game, all these kinds of basic things uh, which you're obliged to do at every game, um, you know, this, the fan quite rightly looks at that and says, well, nobody deserves to be player of the day. Uh, nobody, there is no play of the game. You know, if you're beaten 48 nil, you've got to find a, mm-hmm. a play of the game. So you, I think that's one of our learnings. We have to be a bit more versatile in what our assets look like going forward because we want to make sure we give our sponsors value. But at the same time, we always want to make sure that our members, you know, and our supporters, we're not kind of taking the piss in relation to them. Um, that external piece, when you're going poorly, um, that's a real um, internal conversation with footy staff and with players in that as painful as it is for there to be cameras lined up at the car park as you come in because you've lost a record by a record margin, uh, there is something worse than that and then that's them not being there at all mm. and they don't care and we've become irrelevant. So I've had talked to coaches who've come up from down south and they're turn up for their first presser and there's seven cameras there and a full media pack and they say, oh, this is, this, this is great for the first day and then the next presser, the same number turn up and the next and they say, is it always like this? And you go, yep, it's always like this. This is who we are as a brand. So win, lose or draw, we have to be up front and we can't shirk away from doing our media because um, that, as Hamo says, that's kind of how we communicate. Um, you know, we've got an older fan base so a lot of the money go through traditional media. So... Um, we have to be up for that and we can't shake away from it. So Steve, that's sorry, how do you, um, in your planning, in these situations, you also have to align yourself with what the coach is telling the players? Yeah, 100%. So we've yeah. got a, a, a growth mindset coach who doesn't who believes there's winnings or there's learnings. So you're, I feel that our messaging to our fans should align with the what Fags is telling our players. So it feels like you're sugarcoating losses, but yep. there's a, a level of consistency there that um, that it's probably what the football department would expect. Yeah. How do you... Oh, I think any of... Well, I worked under um, Leper um, and Fags, the Lions, and I worked under Wayne and um, Siebes and now Kevy at the Broncos. So... The learning is your media strategy and your communication strategy relies 100% on your coach and their attitude to how we're going to um, uh, deal with media and how we're going to um, whether we're going to be open or not. So, if they want to, um, if they're anti-media or they don't want to engage, then it's impossible to um, sell the message to the rest of the football department. So. That approach and attitude is is crucial um, at the moment. Kevy's great. He was in a comes from a media background, so he understands the um, the importance of you know whether it be on the record or off the record, getting a message out. So we've got um, you know Ben Iken, who's come in as our head of footy again, comes from media background. He talks about how um, rugby league is one big pantomime, and none of it is real. There's always villains and there's always um, heroes, um, and you can go from being a hero to a villain in the space of uh, you know uh, eighty minutes. Um, 
So having that attitude and then passing that on to the players, we overlay that with better media training. Um, you know, uh, we give them briefings on before every press conference and um, and then, you know, the one-on-ones. I know in one of the earlier podcasts, Listen to Crash, um, kind of talk about, you know, the past and how great it used to be when we had open access to players. Um, and coming from a newspaper background, I totally agree with that. And it, it, is, it is a shame that it's not like it used to be. Um, but on the flip side is that you never used to have outlets um, that was so, um, you know, in that podcast, um, both Pete Bedell and um, who I'm great mates with and deal with every day, they talked about how the highest rating story was Wayne's, uh, you know, kind of marriage split and how the really big rating stories are the stories that deal in, um, you know, kind of conflict. conflict. And whereas, um, you know... Uh, Crash is talking about how it'd be great to have more access to the players. I see both points of view, but now if the highest rating stuff is the really destructive stuff and then that gets amplified umpteen times because it gets onto Fox, you can probably see why we're a little bit protective of our players, you know what I mean? So, But at the same time, behind the scenes, you know, we're trying to make them media-friendly and, and not see the media as an enemy because at the end of the day... Um, you know, uh, that's good for the club, it's good for the players' brand and it's most importantly it's good for our fans and members to be able to learn who our players are coming through. So, so how, how much training do you guys do, media training? Um, we do uh, some. So the NRL will give them some. We'll do some in-house. Um, we also learn on the job. So as they, they do internal stuff for our own, um, you know, internal videos or interviews for our own platforms, we'll always critique and say this was good or that was better, you know, that you can improve here. So... It's kind of a, you know, an ongoing process, I suppose. Um, I think the days of just putting them in a room for two hours with a lecturer up the front saying this is how you do it is well and truly gone, especially with the modern player, the young ones coming through like to have constant feedback and that kind of thing. So, uh, But the batch of players we've got now are, are fairly inexperienced, but they've all grown up with you know, kind of NBA and NFL and they kind of like it. So um, just give them a bit of a guiding hand and, and on they go. What about you? Yeah, I was just going to make a comment about broadcaster access, which I think's changed the dial a lot, particularly within the Big Bash and cricket in general, but specifically Big Bash where um, before a match, a few days out, we'll get, yeah, we want this player for batting mic up, we want this player for fielding mic up so that fans can, yeah, the, the commentators can bounce back and forth, which doesn't happen in the footy codes and... Um, Coaches and players are very wary of that affecting their performance, which does sometimes create a bit of tension between the club and the broadcaster who want that great access. Probably not as much of a problem for the footy codes because you don't have the the, um, the mic up per se, but I'm sure there's some pre and post match stuff yeah. that your players well, don't they, like, they like to mic the coaches. Yeah. Um, they mic'd up Brownie in my first year with the Lions and yeah. I had to go in the truck halfway through and we couldn't use any of it because it was yeah. a F and this. And, but it was, it was all good nature because it was Brownie, but it was like, oh, we can't use any of it. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, okay. Do they try and mic up the, the coaches? And Finals time, they want the co- coaches mic'd, um, but it's not live. Okay. So it becomes a part of the pre-game show the following week. But it, it's an area that I feel like we're going to have to prepare for and prepare our coaches for because... Um, the the demands aren't slowing down. They're coming thicker and faster, and yep. more cameras, more inside access, m- more mics. Um, but just in the last two years alone, like we we run out now through the banner, and then a guy does a live, um, you know, crossing to the broadcast 
just before the bounce. Mm. Now, at the start of last season when I joined, we'd do a, a the coach would do one, you know, walking out the top of the race. Um, but the players, yeah. So that they roll off the half-time huddle into interviews as they walk off oh, at the quarter-time huddles, as they walk off at half-time, and now as they're running through the, the banner. So well, it was two years ago that um, when Hodgie was yeah. getting his hamstring massaged during that Collingwood game, and um, like he, I don't know who copped it more, the club or Channel 7, for just leave him alone. I haven't really seen that kind of thing in football since then, that in-game yeah. interview. It's always been quarter-time or half-time, but not... Yeah. While they're on the bench. And, and, and Hodgie was clearly, um, he, you know, his post-football career was aligned with Channel yeah. 7, so he, he, he was probably motivated. But it, it's And I guess the combat nature of the sport is going to protect us a little bit, Stilo, isn't mm. it? But it, it we're, we're never going to have players mic'd. Yeah, I think it's what people are used to, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the um, the Jordan documentary and yeah. after an NBA, you know, they're in the there's thousands of journeys in the sheds before and after games. Like yeah. it's just something, but they're used to it. That's just how they yeah. roll. Whereas here, we're not. So, and I think that's um, for someone that works in comms or marketing. That's the golden ticket. Is if you've got a Luke Hodge who is looking for a career in media or has a career in media, mm. and they're going to put their hand up to do a lot of stuff. So mm. you know. Oh yeah, I need to find someone to do. In our case, a batting mic up. Yeah, someone like Chris Lynn. He's really well versed in media. Does commentary. Um, he's always up for it. But yep. you, you kind of do have to find the balance a little bit. When you started, in your jobs, there was no TikTok. There was no Snapchat. All of a sudden, these things come on away. They go. How do you guys adapt to those new technologies? And how important are they in your mix? Do you look for examples overseas? Do you break ground yourself? What's your approach? Yeah, I think it's probably a resource thing. I think if you're going to expand uh, into other areas of social media, you need to be able to do it properly. So um, obviously through COVID, uh, everyone had staff reductions. As an example, our, we went from seven to two. Um, so, um, you know, you kind of, when you're trying to do external plus your own platforms, um, you've only got so much time in a day. So... I think, you know, say with TikTok as an example, we've experimented in that space and done a few things um, and we found that to do it properly, you've got to have somebody who is doing it all the time because it's about repetition and, and um, having a constant voice. So it's probably something we've looked at and we can, we've kind of re-stocked uh, now on staff. We're back up to around six. So, um, you know, we're kind of being able to, as we go into the new year, off the back of a bit of a better form on field, be a bit more strategic. Just watching week one of the NFL the last few days. There seems to be a camera that's used um, in the end zone when a touchdown scored. It's a camera which is a pretty basic camera, quite inexpensive, and it looks like a video game celebration. I thought I was watching a video game as a player celebrated. That's the look. Pete, you've done a fair bit of work with the heat on um, augmented reality and virtual reality. Can you talk about that sort of area there? Where are we going in that sort of space there that makes things look different to what we're used to? Yeah, we were pretty early adopters uh, with virtual reality. Um, that kind of tech hasn't really taken off as mainstream. It does provide, if you're in a headset and into that kind of thing, it does provide really cool insights, but it's not something that's particularly mainstream right now. Um, we'll keep looking at that space. Um, the augmented reality is really different. I mean, that kind of technology is used with all kind of social media platforms, Snapchat and Instagram with face filters. So I think... That'll just keep growing and we'll find ways to 
it to create cool, funny, unique content using that kind of tech. I'm not too sure if virtual in itself will, will get much more mainstream because it, there is a bit that needs to go into it, but certainly augmented reality, that's going to keep growing for sure. Did you see the Carolina Panthers? Hmm. Yeah, the panther. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we could do that with yeah. a line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give Swanee his line at last. Yeah, no, yes. I reckon the coolest thing I've seen recently was the NFL last year when they had that Nickelodeon game. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. And every time there was, it was broadcast on Nickelodeon, but for kids. So if there was a touchdown, you had all this slime come over the screen, and the commentary was all about mm. kids, and the overlay was yeah graphics really in a Nickelodeon touch. I thought that was really cool. I think that kind of tech in terms of broadcast and mainstream media will get a lot more use. So on Monday Night Football in the US just gone, there was a commentary feed from the two Manning brothers, Eli and Peyton, who were talking about the game. So the broadcasters are trying to do that, like you say, the Nickelodeon. What do you guys see in that? If we're sitting here in a couple of years' time... What's the sort of things that you look at to say, how do we engage audiences or what are the challenges coming up, the younger people coming through, etc.? How hard is that to predict? Because like you said, uh, with virtual reality, we all thought that, Pete, a few years ago was going to come in in a wave and it sort of stopped. How challenging is that to try and look at what comes next and how you engage? Oh, I think it's a matter of, you know, I go back to storytelling. I'm, I'm a bit like Hammer, I'm an old newspaper man, so I love the stories. I think at times it's easier to kind of get caught up too much in the technology. Um, it wasn't that long ago I was talking to someone, the year 2000 Olympics in Sydney, every journal from Newsman had got given a disposable camera just in case we saw something that was worth taking a photo of. Like, you know, there was no phones to take photos of anything, so you'd take a photo of an event and it'd be some dot off in the distance, but it's only 20 years later and, you know, we talk about augmented reality and some of the great stuff. The thing I've really liked in recent times was the Fickle to Dreams game in the mm. over in America. So... Yeah. I mean, that's that's physical, that's real, that can be touched, you know, and that got unbelievable feedback right across, you know, I reckon it's one of the greatest pieces of sports marketing in history. Um, so I, I like my baseball, you know, as you do, Crutch, and, you know, kind of... Um, I thought that was fantastic. That didn't involve technology. That involved just, you know, the yeah. kind of the great idea and then let's go and do it. So, um, you know, with the, the Olympics coming to Brisbane, we're the, we're the Olympic city now, you know, there's kind of all, there'll be a lot of focus on us over the next 10 years. So I think, um, you know, that whole idea around telling our story and, you know, no, you know, no matter what sport it is and kind of connecting with our fans and our, and our members that way, I think that's really important for us not to forget that. It's a challenge and an opportunity when you're talking about newsrooms uh, decreasing and maybe it getting a little bit harder to get space in a newspaper, but the advent of technology also and social media does open up clubs and people to be able to tell your own story um, a bit more and a bit better. You do have control over it a bit more, so it's, it's a challenge but also an opportunity in that you do have a little bit more control um, of your own story. We played in two of the most amazing games of football in the space of a couple of weeks when we had to win by a certain um, margin to finish in the top four. And then two weeks after that, we lost a semi-final by a point. And driving home from both of those um, games, I, I couldn't help but think, and, I, and this is again probably my generation coming through, but... Nothing tops the experience of great live sport. Um, and I wasn't thinking at all, how do we tell a social media story about yeah. this? The, the game sold, sold itself. itself. Yeah. 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 And, I, and 
I fear that sometimes we can lose lose sight of that. Like people originally are attracted to us because they love mm. they love the game of football or yeah. they love the game of cricket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, we could talk all day about some of these things because there's so much ground to cover and we'll do it again in 12 months' time and see how different it is in 12 months' time. But for now, thanks so much for coming in. Uh, Steelo, Hamo, enjoy the quieter times coming up with the (laughs) off-season. Pete, enjoy the season coming up and we look forward to seeing how the heat goes. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Cheers. Cheers.